You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning again, and um, a huge welcome to you, as has already been said. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I have the privilege of sharing this morning a message the Lord has placed on my heart. So let's start. We are in a series at the moment, a couple of weeks old, called This Is A Move. This Is A Move. And our sense as a church in this season is that God is calling us and beckoning us to partner with Him in rewriting the story of our city and to experience and encounter His presence like never before. And I don't know if you've been sensing this over, over the last few weeks throughout January as we dug into prayer and over the last couple of weeks as we've been exploring the Holy Spirit, but there's a sense, I feel it, that God is birthing something in our hearts and in our church for the more of God. I don't know if you feel that. Don't you long to see the more of God? Don't you long to see God move? To see an outpouring of his Holy Spirit, to see a, a revival awakening in our church which brings life to our city? I do. And so this series, we're really exploring what does it look like? What does it mean to step into a move of God? Because how many of you know God is always on the move? So often he's just waiting for us to catch up with what he is already doing. And what does it mean to move from a place of prayer to a place of power, to be conduits through which God's invading kingdom can come upon people's broken lives and minds and bodies, to partner with God to release his divine design upon the earth. That is what we were exploring. Last week, we had guest speaker in the morning, Jonathan Abbey, senior pastor of York Vineyard, who spoke on uh, the Holy Spirit. And that was an amazing morning, wasn't it? God was just on the move. Next Sunday, both morning and evening, we have a guest speaker, which I'm so excited about. It's Pastor John Flavel, who leads uh, a church in the east of Hull called River City Church. And he has a real gift for unlocking the prophetic. So he's going to be speaking in, um, kind of imparting the prophetic to our community, which I cannot wait for. And today I want to talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. And I want to submit to us today that in order to step into a move of God, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. In order to step into a move of God, we need to be immersed in the power of God. In order to step into a move of God, we need to be saturated by the presence of God. I wonder how many of us long for God to move more than we actually long for God himself. I wonder how many of us want to be used by God without being filled by God. My sense is that the Holy Spirit wants to shake some things up again. He wants to awaken our hearts to his power and his presence to fill his church again, to pour out upon us the power of the age to come, to beckon us into the mystery of his kingdom, to reveal to us Jesus in greater measure, to release healing and deliverance and freedom upon our community and upon our city if we are willing and available. So we're going to jump into a scripture. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to pray for some people to receive the Holy Spirit. I hope that is okay. I remember exactly the day that I was first filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I grew up in an amazing church. Uh, it was a Baptist church, and um, my dad's the pastor. And uh, growing up, there were so many incredible things that, that we did really well in that church. Um, we taught the Bible, memorized scripture, and uh, it, we, it was a thriving church in many respects. One thing I was aware of growing up was that I really didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. I was really never told much about the Holy Spirit. I would read, you know, as t- 11, 12-year-old, I'd read in the book of the Bible about speaking in tongues, and I remember going to my dad and saying, Dad, do you, do you pray in tongues? That stopped then. There was a noise then that stopped. And he was like, yeah, I do. And so he would, you know, a grip an environment where actually the Holy Spirit was very much believed in, but I didn't really see much evidence of his um, kind of manifestation, as it were. Very much believed in as a doctrine, not so much practiced. And I remember being at a youth festival, Soul Survivor, when I was 14 years old, and they did something called a ministry time, which if you've grown up in the vineyard, you take for granted, you probably take for granted, and so do I. And I remember watching people stand up in response to what the Lord was doing and get prayed for and experience some power, experience something. And I remember saying to the Lord, that's terrifying, but I want it. I want what's happening there. I didn't really put language to it, and I remember um, standing up and um, as a 14-year-old when you're trying to be cool. I was never that cool, but when you're trying to be cool and you're crying like a baby and you're shaking, it's embarrassing, and I'm falling on the floor, and I don't know what's happening to me, and I feel this electricity through my body, and um, I start speaking in a language I don't really understand, and... That was, for me, the, the, probably one of the most pivotal moments in my entire life. And looking back, I know it was a moment when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I have had lots and lots of moments like that through the rest of my life. But I remember that moment, and it changed everything. In the book of Acts, we are essentially peering in upon a move of God. We're seeing, aren't we, a remarkable move of the Holy Spirit through a bunch of broken, disillusioned disciples who then encounter the risen Jesus and get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the church explodes. There is great power, and there is great persecution. There are significant, remarkable opportunities and heavy opposition. This is an interesting kingdom principle, that where God is moving through a people, so often there is attack and opposition and persecution. So in Acts chapter 8, we open the first few verses, talk about how Saul is ravaging and persecuting the church. There is great growth accompanied by great persecution. Let's jump in at verse 4. It says, there's those who have been scattered, preached the word wherever they went. They were persecuted so much they couldn't stay in a certain place. They had to be scattered. The enemy thought that a scattered church would be disempowered and ineffective. But it turns out that God is attracted to movement, and the opposite happens. The church gets scattered, and the movement explodes. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Verse 9, now... For some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. 
And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Now let me pause for a moment there and draw our attention to the contrast that Luke is giving us as the author between an authentic move of the Holy Spirit and a counterfeit move of the Holy Spirit. Here we have a man called Philip, who in Acts chapter 6, we discover he was full of the Holy Spirit. And we have Simon the sorcerer. Philip goes to Samaria and he proclaims the Messiah. He preaches the gospel. He tells people about Jesus and invites them to know Jesus and experience life transformation. Simon, the sorcerer, proclaims that he is someone great. Verse 9 says he boasts about himself. Philip proclaims Jesus. Simon proclaims Simon. An authentic move of the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is moving, it is never about the person on the platform. It's never about the one person, the anointed one, the holy man of God, not at all. It is always about introducing people to Jesus. God seems to be on the move where Jesus is proclaimed. And so it's important for us as a community that we, as we explore the Holy Spirit, we don't pursue the gifts and the miracles and the signs and wonders more than we pursue his presence, more than we talk about Jesus and the gospel. It's important that we never stop talking about Jesus and preaching the gospel to the nations and to our neighbors. The move of God points people to Jesus and doesn't distract people from Jesus. Secondly, Simon's magic has the power to amaze. We saw that people were amazed by him in verse 11, but actually an authentic move of God has the power to transform. Simon had a gift which amazed people but left them unchanged, but the Holy Spirit is not interested in amazing people with tricks. He's interested in transformational encounter. When God used Philip, just read the passage, what happened to people? Their lives and their bodies and their minds were made right. Demonic oppression was lifted off people. Joy was imparted to a city. When there's a move of God, the city is transformed. People experience freedom. People experience wholeness. This is something to expect when God is on the move. It's not magic for the sake of one man. It's for the sake of the city. Thirdly, moves of God aren't always clean and sanitized and controlled. This is an uncomfortable one. When God moves, it is often messy. They're not stage shows where people sit and clap and leave amazed. We don't peer in on a move of God. We see the tricks and then we leave in an orderly fashion. Moves of God disturb our comfort. Moves of God shift our perspective and heal our minds and bodies and convict our sin and call us into greater things and release our joy. We aren't supposed to be amazed by a move of God as we are completely transformed. That's why I think, I wonder whether many of us actually want to avoid a real move of God. We like the controlled power of being amazed, but the amazement often leaves people in their mess. What we need, church, is the wild power of the Holy Spirit. That was in Philip. He caused demons to flee with loud shrieks. That happens when there's a move of God. How inconvenient would that be for our comfort levels? happen in church we'd be like no would we be willing to see what the Lord might want to do 
A move of God is often noisy. Demons leave with shrieks. What happens to the city? There's great joy. How do people express joy? They laugh often. I've never seen someone filled with joy that's like this. When there's a move of God, often there's mess. We like a nice, quiet church, don't we? Safe and steady and predictable. But what if God wanted to mess things up a little bit? Are we open to that? It's what happens when God moves. Demons should be fleeing. Freedom should be restored. Addiction should be broken. People's bodies should be healed. Even this week, just this week, in a week, I've heard three stories of people getting healed in our church community. We're going to tell them in greater uh, length tonight because we don't have the time, but um, we had uh, one person's shoulder being healed last Sunday in church. Um, I think he then damaged it again, doing something that he shouldn't do, but still it was healed, okay? <laughs> we had uh, someone get healed in level on Newland Ave, someone's heel got healed. <laughs> they got healed. <laughs> Hashtag. Just made that up. Um, and then one of my favorite stories, um, Ben Elvey, who's on one of the team, he leads the table. He was praying for someone at our table, which is our soup kitchen. And uh, he recognized, he'll tell the story better, but he, this guy who clearly was normally really, really happy was in clearly some discomfort. And the guy said, oh, some, I think it was his shoulder as well. My shoulder's in real pain. And um, Ben like, walked away and thought, you know what, I need to pray. I need to pray. It's what we do. We pray. So he goes back and prays. And um, as soon, apparently, as soon as Ben said, in Jesus' name, amen, the guy swore. And I won't tell you what he said. It's explicit. And Ben was like, what was that about? And the guy was like, when you said in Jesus' name, it got better. Isn't that incredible? Three stories in just a week. God is doing something. and He's inviting us to press in. And as we step into the move of God, this is what we should be seeing. Let's continue with the scripture. Verse 12 They're in Samaria. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the kingdom is never just demonstrated, it's always proclaimed and demonstrated. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Verse 14, this is the key verse for today. You can underline it in your Bible. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They heard there's a move of God going on in Samaria, which is not among the Jewish people. They sent to them Peter and John, the big dogs. They come down and they pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple of short reflections on these verses about stepping into a move of God. First of all, church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need afresh to be filled to receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles had heard that Samaria is responding to the gospel. People are coming to faith. There is a move of God. There's incredible things happening as the gospel is proclaimed. So what did they do now? Well, they said, okay, we need some backup. We're going to send Peter and John to go there 
so that they can pray that people, new believers, might receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Here's the point. The Samaritan believers had received the gospel. They had given their lives to Jesus. They had experienced salvation, which we know is a work of the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we get saved, the Spirit um, comes to make his home inside us. The Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Spirit um, brings us to a place of adoption with the Father. Salvation, it says in Romans 8, salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. They'd been baptized in water. They'd seen miracles, but the text says they had not yet received a filling of the Holy Spirit. There is an expectation in the New Testament that subsequent to the moment of salvation, there is another moment that we can pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, for a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The apostles come in and they say, this is incredible. You've received the word of God. You've responded to the gospel, but now you need to be filled with the power and the presence of God because you can't live the Christian life without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is possible, I want to submit, it's possible to have been a Christian for your entire life, to understand the gospel, to respond to the gospel, and yet not have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's possible to know Jesus intimately and closely, and yet not walk in the fullness of what is available to us. And this is so important for our church community as we see people coming in and, and giving their lives to Jesus. They hear the gospel, they respond, they hear the good news that Jesus, God made man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins so that anyone that believes in him might not perish but have eternal everlasting life. He took on the sins of the world. He gave us and in exchange his righteousness. We can now boldly approach the throne of God with confidence because of what Jesus did. It's grace. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. People hear that and go, I want that. I need it. I receive it. I reach out my hand. Save me, Lord. And Jesus will save us. And then they go, right, I'm saved. Now what? Now what do we do? What happens now? Well, there's a reason why Jesus, after he rose from the dead, told the disciples to wait. He said, don't go anywhere. They had seen the risen Jesus, and he says, wait. Katia Adams, who's a pastor in the States, makes the point that if the disciples who had lived and walked with Jesus for years were not empowered enough at that point to do the work of ministry, that's a good indicator that you and I need an experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to the disciples, wait, wait. You need to be filled. You need power from on high. You need filling with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we can't do this on our own. We were not meant to. We were designed to do this filled with Jesus himself. So they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today in this room. Maybe you're watching online and if you're really honest with yourself in your Christian life, you feel ineffective. You feel dry. You feel weary. You feel barren. You feel like, oh man, I know the stuff in my head. I've been to church my whole life. I prayed a prayer 10 years ago, but it's making very little difference in my life. I want to suggest that we need to be filled again with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a promise that Jesus will come and baptize us with the Spirit and with fire. I'm going to share an analogy that I heard last week, and I shared it last Sunday night, and some of you all missed it. 
And it's really an analogy to describe what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This isn't a silent and sneaky thing, but a filling of the Holy Spirit is an encounter. It's an experience. Now, there are two Greek words. If you're okay, are you okay to learn a bit of Greek this morning? A bit of theology. Two Greek words for baptism in the New Testament. The first one is the word bapto, which means essentially a dipping. And uh, when we imagine baptized, being baptized, we often picture the idea of being dipped. That's what happens. You get dipped under the water, and then you come out. We imagine that is what it means by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's actually another word for baptism in the New Testament. It's the word baptizo. Turn to your neighbor and say baptizo. You say that? I don't know how that's pronounced, but baptizo. And it's very different. The best way to understand the difference between baptism and baptizo is from a recipe to make pickled cucumbers from 200 years before Jesus, okay? So the recipe teaches us how to pickle cucumbers, and it says that the cucumber must first be dipped in boiling water, bapto in boiling water, temporarily put under boiling water, and then it must be baptized, baptizoed, into the vinegar solution. Both bapto and baptizo speak of immersion but when you are baptized, it is temporary. And when you are baptized, it is a permanent thing. The cucumber goes into the pickling juice, a cucumber, but it comes out a pickle. Are you catching what I'm trying to lay down? The Holy Spirit wants to pickle you. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you go in one person and come out completely different. You're not just dipped and then go back to the way things were. You are immersed in such a way that you're a different person and people bump into you and go, who are you? What are you about? The Holy Spirit wants to pickle you. John Piper, he says this, for New Testament Christians, the Holy Spirit was a fact of experience. For many Christians today, it is a fact of doctrine. It was my experience growing up. In other words, too many Christians today are trying to live the Jesus life and do the Jesus stuff without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's move on because I want to pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit again. What does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Verse 14 says this, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, a little bit more Greek, which I think is really, really helpful. You notice in the passage, there are two words, receive. Right, you see that? Now, interestingly, there are two different words in the Greek. The first one, describing what it means to receive the word of God, is, is receiving in quite a passive way. It's a welcoming. It's like someone comes to you and gives you a gift, and you go, okay, I'll take it. And that is really all it takes to receive the gospel, it is a gift. Someone tells you this, and you can just go, okay, I will receive it. That's the word dedektai, apparently. Now, the second word, which is um, the word used for receiving the Holy Spirit, is not that word at all. In, in fact, it means something different. It actually means it's more of an active word. It is not a passive word. It actually means to take active, uh, to take actively laying hold of something. It's, I don't know if that makes sense. It's a taking what has been promised as I've seen the gift and I'm coming to get it. Does that make sense? It's not I'm going to sit here and wait for someone to give me something. It is there is a promise that the Holy Spirit is on offer to me and I want that. 
Does that make sense? It's a huge difference. I love that we can just receive the gospel by going, okay. But the Holy Spirit isn't forced upon people that maybe aren't quite ready. I love that about the Holy Spirit. But actually, there's an invitation to have as much of the Holy Spirit as we want. When they received the Holy Spirit, it was an active engagement. It was a stepping into a promise. It is, God, I see you, and I want you, and I need you, and I am laying hold of you, and I want to experience more. The encouragement for this morning is, if you want more of God, you can have more of God. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want more of the power of God in your life, He is available. God longs to fill you. He longs to empower you. He longs to encounter you. Maybe you're here today and you would say, do you know what? I don't ever think I've been filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been struggling and striving in the Christian life. Maybe you feel tired, burned out, weary, ineffective. Jesus would say to you this morning, come receive fresh power. Come and receive him this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit before and you're like, is it a one-shot thing? I feel dry and barren now. Is, is that it? Am I done? Well, no, it's not. Paul in Ephesians 5 talks about the Holy Spirit. He says this, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word there for filled is a, is a present continuum. It means be constantly, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Moment by moment, ask him to come. Moment by moment, rely on his power. Moment by moment. There are, there are going to be moments like this where we, where we come forward and we say, God, I, want to, I need you again. But every single day in quiet moments, we're designed to walk in intimacy and closeness and tenderness with the Holy Spirit, to hear his voice. And when we're struggling to say, Holy Spirit, come. I need you. Would you fill me again? We were designed to need him. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Firstly, we ask. We ask, Jesus said this um, in one of the Gospels, if you then, I think it was Luke, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more would your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Later on in the passage, Simon tries to buy the ability to impart the Holy Spirit with gold. We don't buy him with gold, but sometimes we tend to buy him with our good works with our list of good deeds, and, and actually the reality is we simply need to ask. Secondly, I think it's important to approach this asking with an expectation that he wants to come. To lay claim of a promise is to wait with expectation and boldness that the promise is true, that he really does want to pour out his spirit on all flesh, that he really does want to fill his church again and baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire I believe that expectation is an important part of receiving and being filled. It's a posture of faith. It's trust. It's saying to God, God, you've promised you'll pour out your spirit. Now I'm here and I want it. I'm asking. I'll lay claim to that promise. And thirdly, I think it's a very, very important one before we pray. We have to be willing to let go of control. Does anyone enjoy letting go of control? No, good, it's not just me. But trying to control the Holy Spirit is one of the ways that we quench a move of the Holy Spirit. When we try and control him, we just don't give him space to move. Quenching is like putting out a fire. But what if God wanted to set us on fire, but our fears and our controls and our need to avoid mess is holding us back from a greater move of God? 
The Holy Spirit wants to fill his church again. Will we let him? When he stands. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.